1884, a French artist, Georges Seurat, finished a painting that he titled uh, Sunday on La Grande Jatte. And this painting, I say he finished it in 1884 because it took two years for him to finish this painting. If you go to the Art Institute of Chicago and see this painting or even look it up online, you can tell that it, it's actually just millions of dots that make up this painting. And what the artist tried to do is to capture uh, a wonderful Sunday afternoon of relaxing along the river, the nostalgia, the wistfulness of what a Sunday afternoon ought to be is what he wanted to paint there. And we can look at that and for some of us remember back to Sunday afternoons being sort of relaxing, partly because there was nothing else to do on Sunday afternoon a long time ago. Uh, stores were closed. There wasn't a lot that you could do. Restaurants were closed. You were kind of forced to spend Sunday with your family. Um, I don't know if you had that experience growing up in my hometown growing up as a young boy. I, I very vividly remember Sunday afternoons being quiet and relaxing. Now, if we're going to be fair, though, I, I don't know that I would say that everyone in my hometown who didn't do anything on Sunday didn't do anything because they wanted to honor God that day. If they didn't honor God the other six days of the week, I doubt that their Sunday afternoon, even though it was probably more a more healthy pattern than we have in our society today, um, whether it was honoring God or not was a question of the heart, not a question of the schedule. And we should realize that in our quest to find rest and peace and relaxation, and as we're going to talk about today from Mark chapter 2 and 3, uh, what this whole idea of Sabbath rest is all about and what Jesus brings, this quest to find margin in our life is so important, but we sometimes default to rules or to guidelines to help us to do that. And even in the early church, uh, there was not a day of no work. Often in the early church, people would work, and then they'd go worship after church like some of you do. There are some of you who will be clocking in later today, or maybe some of you work on Sunday sometimes, and you can't get to church on Sunday morning. Um, the Christian Sunday, as we experience it now, actually began, and we don't worship on the Sabbath, which is the last day of the week, but the first day of the week, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus began to gather on Sunday to commemorate this first day of the week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it became a day of celebration. And over time, some of the principles of Sabbath rest were they kind of matriculated over to the, the Christian Sunday celebration. And so we have something of a hybrid experience right now um, on what Sundays are supposed to be and, and how we uh, enjoy those. The gift of a special day is something that we cannot explain away. From the very beginning in the story of creation, God created and then there was one day after six days, he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was worn out and needed to recoup his energy. He just paused and gave a day of margin in the creation account. That principle 
whether we follow a strict day of rest on a Sabbath, which would be the last day of the week, or not, is something that carries out throughout Scripture, and we don't really even need a lot of biblical rationale to, to uh, promote that. Go to the most counseling and therapist's office or doctor's offices, and you, you find people that are going traveling at Mach 3 and wondering why life is falling apart around them, wondering why when you don't have any, don't have any margin in your life, it's hard to do relationships, it's hard to do uh, physical health, it's hard to even exist in this world the way we're going on. If you were here at the beginning of the service, you watched one of my favorite clips from an Andy Griffith episode uh, I saw years ago, and I've always, I've always thought this was so fun. In this story, the, the episode continues after this pastor who's visiting Mayberry. The church tells them about resting and how important it is to pause and slow down. And, and after church, Barney and, and Andy and Aunt B are sitting on the porch, and they said, remember when we used to do band concerts on Sunday evenings and how relaxing and wonderful that was? And someone got the idea, well, maybe we can do that again. Well, I could get the guys together, and well, we could get the uniforms ready. And so they rush, and they spend the entire afternoon getting ready for this band concert. And then they put it on, and then they're exhausted at the end. And it's a wonderful reminder that if we're not careful, we can work harder and get exhausted trying to find rest in life, can't we? Um, we, we try to experience that, and we end up doing exactly the opposite of what we're called to do. Finding rest can be very exhausting. And that's what was happening in the early chapters in the Gospel of Mark, which is where we're going to go now. If you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, I'll be reading Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. If you're using the YouVersion app um, on your phone, you can just go to Events, First Free Church, and you'll find the passage of Scripture there and places for you to put notes if you'd like. But Jesus got into trouble a lot with the religious leaders, and if you've been with us the last couple of Sundays, he's been encountering some opposition, and today it's about Sabbath. It's about observing that one day where we're supposed to pull aside and not do any work. Uh, Listen to the events that are recorded in Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and he and his disciples, as they walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Let's stop right there. Um, In order for the Pharisees to know that, they probably were following them and looking. I mean, let's just call it like it is. So so these guys were already suspicious of him, wandering around behind them on the Sabbath, waiting for them to do something that they could criticize. So jump back in, verse 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. 
and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was, his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees then went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So we find two Sabbath squabbles going on here. One is about harvest rules, and another is about healing rules. And rules are really important for us to understand looking at this. Um, Jesus and his disciples were traveling, um, got hungry, so they decided to walk into the grain field and pick up some grain to eat for a snack. There are a couple of Old Testament verses that I'll read for you that might give us some insight into this. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to a standing grain. Makes sense. In that day, you didn't have exit ramps with restaurants and convenience stores. If you were traveling, you were walking, you got hungry, there's a grain field there. The principle was you could stop in and get a bite, but don't bring your combine and harvest all of this guy's grain. Just go in and get enough so that you can eat, and then you're going to be able to go on your way. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, this is the Sabbath law where kind of bumps into this concept of go ahead and help yourself to some grain if you're hungry. Exodus 34, 21, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest season, you shall rest. So these two principles of if you're hungry, you can stop in and get some grain, just don't harvest the guy's whole field. But there's this Sabbath principle that on this one day of the week, we're to withdraw from work. I remember the farming community when I grew up, where I grew up in central Illinois. This was a major deal. There were farmers who, in the, in the middle of harvest season, even if the weather might be bad next week, if it was Sunday, their combine stayed in the barn. And other farmers said, why aren't you harvesting your crop? You need to get out there and get that in. No, it's the Lord's day. I'm not going to harvest crops today. We still have this kind of thought running in our minds, whether it's farming or whatever behavior or activity we might think should, should or shouldn't be done on a certain day, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So the prohibition of working on the Sabbath, which is the last day of the week, goes back to Genesis, the creation account, Exodus chapter 20, we read about it. We read about it also in Deuteronomy 5. There are a lot of different motivations for why this is important, some pragmatic reasons, some reasons that go back to the creation account, as we mentioned. Um, but this group of religious leaders, known as the Pharisees, were really big on enforcing these rules. And we've talked about them the last few weeks, when Nathan preached a few weeks ago and Don last week, that Jesus is bumping into these religious leaders more and more. And the, the Old Testament definitely prohibits working on the Sabbath, but what these guys had done because the Old Testament had prohibited working on the Sabbath, they wanted to make sure we didn't bump into that, we didn't cross that line. So they put together a list of rules and regulations that would keep God's people from violating God's rules. Seems like a really good idea. They were experts at this. In fact, they had 39 different categories of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath. Because here's the deal, God said don't work on the Sabbath, but he didn't really define what it is. And if you're a person who likes to have a lot of subpoints, you've got to make those subpoints. And so these guys were great at making the subpoints. The problem is, in the making of the subpoints, they lost the spirit of the main law, which we'll get to in a minute. One specific issue, for example, 
that they dealt with, which because probably a really major deal, is what happens when you spit? Well, if you spit and, and the spittle lands on a rock, that's okay on a Sabbath, but they actually have this in writing. But if you spit and it lands in dirt and it dislodges some dirt, that's actually plowing. And so that violates the Sabbath work prohibition. And there's some serious, serious things that have to happen to you because you just plowed on the Sabbath day. We need to pause and remind ourselves that in this day, these were the good guys. These were the good guys. We can look at the Pharisees now and see them as a bunch of rule-following hypocrites, but these were the pastors and religious leaders, the guys you would read um, and and think, "I I need to know about God, so these are the people that I need to follow. They called Jesus into account for his followers, and that was okay. Whenever a rabbi uh, has his followers do something, the rabbi's always accountable. So it was okay for them to call Jesus into account for what his followers were doing. But Jesus replied with a question that takes them back to the Old Testament. He did that very strategically because these guys loved the Old Testament law. First Samuel, in 1 Samuel, David and his men entered the tabernacle and they ate bread that was consecrated. Um, In in fact, what one commentator says is the relationship between this incident when David and his men walked into the tabernacle and ate the consecrated bread and Jesus' men eating the grain in the field were that it was an infringement on the Sabbath, but on both occasions, pious men did something that was forbidden. And that's the dilemma. That's the dilemma. There actually is something that's forbidden here. David and his men weren't supposed to eat that bread. It was intended to be an offering to God. It was consecrated to God and to the priest. They weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, but what was happening was these Jesus and David and his men were seeing something that was greater, a greater obedience to God, a greater following of God's law than don't harvest this grain. They missed the key ingredient. Look with me again at chapter 2, verse 27. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's what had happened with these rule followers. They had made the, the, the people who they were supposed to be loving and caring for subservient to the rules rather than the rules taking into account the people. Jesus didn't abrogate the Sabbath. He didn't throw it away. He defined it. It was a gift to mankind, a gift to help us know what rest is, a gift to help us know what cessation from work is, a gift to help us know what's really important, the rhythm of life that we're supposed to follow. The disciples didn't violate that act because their heart wasn't far from God. That's where we get hung up. The central problem with the Pharisees, and it's the central problem with me, the central problem with you, with all of us, because we can all be judgmental of somebody for something, is that one could obey all of their rules outwardly. One could obey all of their rules outwardly and be judged as right and good, but have no change in heart. That was the problem. You could follow all the rules, but if your heart hadn't been changed, outwardly you were viewed as being holy and right and pious. Jesus always, always, always wants to look at the heart 
It's not that the rules don't matter. It's not that we're not supposed to obey God. But we look at the heart first because the heart is where that obedience flows out of. And if we are, quote unquote, obeying or if we're we're doing the right things but our hearts are not in the right place, then that negates what that obedience really is. When keeping laws and rules takes precedence over caring for people, we miss the gospel. When keeping the laws and rules takes precedence over obeying, over loving people, we miss the gospel. When I was pastor many years ago in Peoria, Illinois, um, we lived right next door to the church. There was a parking lot between the church building and the parsonage where we lived. And we had some extra rooms in our house, and we would have some guests living with us from time to time. There was one real fun season where we had some young men who played hockey for the Peoria Rivermen, which was the Blues farm team at the time, living with us. And uh, there were some kids that would get in our parking lot during the week and play street hockey in the parking lot. And a few of them heard that, hey, these guys have some pro hockey players living in their house. And so I talked to a couple of the guys and went out and hit around a little bit and played some hockey with these kids. And as you can imagine, what happened then with this group of kids that would gather is they kept growing and growing and growing. And eventually it got to where we would have 50 or 60 kids every afternoon after school would flock to our church parking lot and wait for Paris or Mark come and to come out and play hockey with them. And these guys would get some of their other friends to come. And it was just a very impromptu thing. No, no planning went into this. It just started happening. And then we thought, why don't we to share the gospel with these kids. So we sent a note home with all the kids one day saying, hey, next Tuesday, make sure your parents see this. Next Tuesday, we're going to invite all of you to come inside the church, which we hadn't done unless they needed to, to come in for something. Um, we're going to have all of you come in, and we're going to have some food for you. And a couple of these guys are going to talk to you about life and about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we had all these kids, uh, probably 60 kids, come in and hear the gospel uh, and it was just such an exciting time. And one of the church board meetings that was going on at the, that time, um, I was explaining how cool this was and how exciting it was and all the kids that were hearing the, the gospel and were coming to our church parking lot to play. And one of the, one of the men on the church board said, yeah, pastor, I, I, I was here the other day when they were here. It's kind of neat to see all these kids around. Um, but I need to talk to you about the language I was listening to out there. There's a lot of foul language. Could you, could you deal with that? And my heart just sank. I'm like, oh my. oh my. All these kids are coming and we're sharing the gospel with them. And you're worried about the language. They use. Can, we, can we introduce them to Jesus and then try to talk to them about their behavior and their language? And it's easy to, and this guy did have some pretty strict views on what holiness and behavior ought to be like. It's easy to look at someone like that and to really criticize him and say, you missed their heart. How can you do that? You don't love people. But before we judge someone like that, we need to look at our own hearts and ask this question. What rules, behaviors, belief, or lifestyles do I expect from other people more than I want to know about the mess that's their real life? What rules or expectations or behaviors do I want to have more than, I, or do I want to see more than I want to really get into the mess of their lives? Because I can be that guy. In fact, it really gets complicated because we can even be self-righteous in criticizing the Pharisees, can't we? 
mean, it, it gets so insidious, this, this I'm right and I need to correct you, that I can, I can be pharisaical in, in correcting a Pharisee. That's why Jesus talks to us about the good, good news, isn't it? We all need the good news. So after this, the religious leaders were really upset with Jesus. They looked for something they could pin on him. We don't know how long it was when they went to the synagogue, but the next epoch that, that Mark talks to us about, they're in the synagogue, and they see Jesus interacting with a man who has a shriveled hand, some physical deformity in his hand. They were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were watching because they were waiting. They, they didn't think he was actually following God, so they were just watching to see what he would do. It's interesting because their own rules interfered with them helping people. It wasn't that healing was wrong or helping people was wrong, but was Jesus going to do it on the wrong day? That was their hang-up. Mark chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus said to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger. And by the way, we don't read that very often in the Gospels, do we? Jesus looked around in anger. There was a a righteous um, indignation, a, 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 an internal turmoil about what was happening here because there was something that was violating the highest command that God gives to us, which is to love God and love people, was going on in these, in these who were supposed to be leading his people. He was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So doing good is not limited to six days of a week. Doing good is not limited to rules and rule-bound observances. The text tells us then that his enemies started plotting how they could kill him and get rid of him. Look with me at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Jesus then withdrew. We don't know how long between these stories or epochs that, that Mark describes. But he withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed so many that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Do you, do you see the contrast between the response Jesus was getting to the rank and file population in this region and the response he was getting from the religious leaders? Do you see that contrast? They were looking to undermine him. They were looking to stop him. And, and the people who were hurting and broken and looking for answers were flocking to him so much that Jesus said, you may want to get a boat here. We're going to be in the water. So that's what Jesus did. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Then whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Again, contrast, not just the crowd's response with the religious leaders, contrast the the evil spirits, the, the demonic realm's response and reaction to Jesus with those of the religious leaders of the day. There was recognition of his divinity. There was recognition of his power and his authority. 
recognition that here is the Son of God coming to us. This is the Son of Man. This is the one with this authority on this place. And they were terrified of him. These verses illustrate the popularity of Jesus and how the rule followers were kind of squeezing the life out of the people. So the main question that we need to ask based on this passage, I think, is what are the rules that we should keep? Or it's not what are the rules that we should keep, but rather, how can I help people as I follow the path of God? Because if we as a church or as individuals or as parents or friends, husbands and wives, focus on following the rules, we're going to have We're going to have some things in order, but we're going to miss the heart. The rules and law is for us, with the highest command being to love God and to love other people. Here are a few uh, takeaways for you. And if you want these and you don't have time to write them down, you can just send an email to uh, Robin Harms at rharms at efree.org, and she'll be glad to email my manuscript to you. But here's what happens when when man-made rules are more important than caring for people. When when man-made rules are more important than caring for people, here's what the result is. There is a predictability to life and faith. There's something about rules, isn't it? Rules, when they're enforced, level the playing field. So there's a predictability for life. There's a predictability for faith. Another result of man-made rules being more important than caring for people is we know, or we think we know, who is on what team by how well they follow the rules. So if you follow the rules well, you're on the team. If it looks like you're violating the rules, you're not on the team. And another result of man-made rules being more important than caring for people, if one rule is good, five rules are even better. If one rule is good, five will be even better. Let's really, really, really do this. And I keep wanting to come back to this. These were not guys that were malicious and trying to under, intentionally undermining God. They were doing this because they, they thought they were loving God and obeying God's rules was what we were called to do. And in doing so, they missed the heart. I just want to keep coming back to that. Because if we don't, we'll fall into the same trap. So where do we go instead? When caring for people is more important than man-made rules, here are some of the results when caring for people is more important than man-made rules. First, life is unpredictable and a bit dangerous. Life is unpredictable and a bit dangerous because life is messy. People's lives are messy. Very seldom do people fit in the formula that I want to put them in. Life goes awry. Another result is we cannot determine who is on what team by how well they follow the rules. And here's why. Because I know I don't follow the rules. And and whose rules are we following today, mine or yours? Because I know I don't even follow all of mine. So it's hard to say who's on what team by what rules you follow because I'm not a very good rule follower. That's why I need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. And then another result when caring for people is more important than man-made rules. The only rules that matter are the rules that God gives. Life gets messy, a little more unpredictable. I can't put God in all the boxes that I used to put him in because when you start putting life into that, boy, the edges get a little fuzzy sometimes. But properly observed, this kind of 
this kind of obedience and following Jesus Christ breathes life into our church, breathes life into our relationship, even breathes life into obedience and holiness. It breathes life into it because it's being fueled by the very heart of God. Jesus observed the Sabbath regularly. Um, What should we take home about Sabbath? Let's think about that for a minute. Um, One commentator said it this way, the Sabbath is best kept when God's purpose in giving it is best fulfilled. The Sabbath is best kept when God's purpose in giving it is best fulfilled. We don't keep Sabbath. Um, That would be the last day of the week. Uh, We don't do that. We worship on Sundays and we borrowed some of that uh, rest day into our theology, but we don't observe the formal Sabbath. So what, how do we do this? Well, because as it was designed, it was designed to give us a respite from this burdensome rule following and the weight of this life. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, God rested on the seventh day. That was created for us. Rest was created for us. Margin was created for us. It's best honored when it's set aside for taking care of people. And that moves it from just one day of the week to every day of the week, doesn't it? Whenever someone crosses my path, whenever someone shows up on my doorstep, whenever I see someone on my radar screen who has a need, what I am called to do is to look at them, to care for them, and to honor God by loving and doing what I can to serve them. The greatest human need is to be reconciled with God in the face of our rebellion. Not only has Jesus the authority over the human institution of the Sabbath, but he has authority over this rest period that, we, that we're looking for. He is, he is the Sabbath personified. Jesus is the Sabbath personified. And as we, as we look, Don talked last week about Hebrews um, in his message. And I think if, if you're ever going to read any of the Gospels and you really want to get a good picture of what Jesus is doing, you should skim through the book of Hebrews a few times because it gives such a great perspective on what's going on. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11... It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest, the rest that Jesus provides for us, the true Sabbath, which is not living by rules, but living by the grace and mercy that God gives to us, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And then in Matthew 11, verse 28, which we heard earlier, uh, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the pinnacle of Sabbath. He is the pinnacle of Sabbath. He observed Sabbath by meeting my greatest need and your greatest need. He observed Sabbath by going to the cross and dying so that we could have eternal life. We can know the hope and the Holy Spirit in this life and eternal life forever after this. He embodied the Sabbath. So the what to do from this message is nothing. It's not a what to do. It's a what to be, who to be. To be people who've entered into this Sabbath rest, not criticizing, not judging, but encountering the peace and the rest that Jesus Christ gives to us. Let me pray to that end. God, these verses help us to see 
how our rule following can kind of get in the way sometimes of what's most important. Caring for people, meeting people's needs. And Jesus personified it, he exemplified it in his own work because it's what he was doing when the Pharisees criticized him. He was caring for people, helping people. We want to be people who obey you. We want to be people who follow your commands. We want to be people who observe what you tell us to do. But we want to do that in a way that recognizes and fulfills the ultimate law of love. Help us to do that in our homes and in our families and our churches. We pray that you would get the glory. Amen.